Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy and one of the uh, finest beat reporters out there right now. It's Matt Porter. Matt, what's going on, man? Wow. Hey, uh, I- I'm just trying to take a breather here. We're just about to start another series. I think I've had like, I don't know. Have I had a full day off in the last couple months? I don't know. I'm not trying to paint myself as some hero here, but there's a lot of travel. Let's put it that way. I'm a little little worn out, so I'll try to bring the energy here. Someone's got to do it. It, is, it does feel like it is a, It is pretty relentless. I feel like in the NBA, it's a bit more spread out, and they're kind of letting it breathe a little bit, whereas here, it's pretty much like you get one extra day off between series, I guess, but you go right back at it. Yeah, like today we were talking to Tuka Rask, and, and somebody somebody knew the answer they were they were getting here. But they was like, you know, Tuka, would you would you like a longer break between series? And he just kind of like rolled his eyes and was like, Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I imagine the goalies, especially that's a uh, some that'll come up. But obviously with Rask, I think, and this is a recurring theme around the league, but the Bruins did it about as well as anyone with the year Yarrow Halak had, which was kind of pacing these guys and giving them much more of that kind of progressive modern day one. A one B approach where each guy starts around forty ish games, and uh, we can get into Dukarask here. I think that's kind of the natural uh, transition point for here to talk to start talking about the Bruins. But his play in this postseason has been next level great, and it's been kind of a vintage throwback. I know he's had great seasons in the past and great uh, postseason runs, but this is about as well as I can remember seeing him play. Yeah, me too. You know, it's funny. Like when you're a beat reporter, when you're with these guys, like every single time they talk in front of cameras anywhere, like you just kind of you know there's stuff that you can't really ask them in the heat of the moment. Like it's just you're not going to get a good answer. And with Rask, like one of the things I can't wait to find out is like just if he can clue me in on how he approaches the season. You know, like does he actually does he try to not play well in the start of the year and just kind of like just start it like start his season in January because like honestly like you look at his at his numbers in October and they're really bad you know they're they're like replacement level and then you know he starts to find his game a little bit and and 
he's never rattled by that. It's just, he's, he's like a, he's like LeBron was, you know, when I was, I covered the heat a little bit in, in a previous job and like LeBron's not giving it all every single night. He's just not, you know, and he's not alone, obviously in, in the NBA. And I know the NHL has this culture, you know, the warrior culture or whatever. It's like, you know, you're always going out for your teammates and stuff, but it's like, you know, these guys aren't trying as hard in November. And with Tuca, it's like, I don't know if it was just more apparent or if it's the if it's the, you know, the pressure, you know, the, the media culture in Boston or however you want to say it, like, but you know, he just doesn't look as good until it's January, February. And now obviously he's been a killer in the playoffs. He's been really impressive. I'm, I'm, he keeps surprising me with some of the saves that he makes. Well, it's funny you bring that up in terms of the element of pacing yourself a little bit. And it does run so counter to hockey culture and this idea that you're giving, always giving it 110% and, and playing through injuries and all that. But I think with this Bruins team in particular, uh, we saw in years past that, Come the postseason, especially after round one, for example, last year after that grueling seven game series of the Leafs, they kind of emptied the tank there. And by the time they reached Tampa Bay in round two, a lot of their guys were either banged up or running on empty. Mm. And, you know, I think this year they did a much better job with toning down Zdeno Chara's usage throughout the regular season, uh, you know, picking their spots, maybe getting him to miss a couple games here. They're playing uh, much, much fewer minutes than he had in the past. And I don't know how much of that is related to this run we're seeing from them, but I imagine that that was like a topic of discussion, at least internally, where it was like, okay, we need to figure out a better way, considering we we do consider ourselves a contender, to have our guys uh, firing on all cylinders in May as opposed to throughout the regular season and then having nothing to show for it after. Yeah, for sure. And, and Chara, you brought up Chara. There's a few good examples there. Um, you know, David Backus being one, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure part of the conversation with him, because they did have, they did sit him down, you know, in, in the, especially in the second half. And, you know, he's banged up. We had a concussion in the, the first uh, half and missed some time there. But, you know, he, he wasn't playing a lot down the stretch. And, you know, now he's been able to give him three really good games against a, a big heavy team in Columbus. And, you know, Chara played. Chara led the team in minutes the other night um, in, in Game Six. I mean, uh, Zdeno Chara is not a twenty-six minute guy uh, anymore, but you know, he certainly was in a clinching game. And, and you know, they he's, he doesn't want to take a morning off. You know, for forget a, a game off. Um, he's just he's like a Yarmir Yager type. You know, that just kind of like a shark. You know, needs to keep swimming or else he's going to die or something. Um, that's just what he what he does um, and how he approaches his job. So. You know, he's, he doesn't want to take any time off at all, but, uh, you know, they've kind of given him or at least offered, given him the option of taking a breather here and there. And, and certainly, you know, they have reduced his minutes. So giving it to him at the right time, that's for sure. Um, but Chara has struggled. I, I think, you know, I don't want to, can't really lose sight of that. He's, yeah. he's given it all he has out there, but, it, you know, he's kind of... Uh, you know, not the not the same player he was. It, definitely from a skating perspective. No, Father Ty remains undefeated, but I think he does in the postseason. Considering how much the refs and we're going to talk about officiating more at length here in a bit, but considering <laughs> how much the refs are letting go in all these games, like I don't want you know Bruins fans that are listening to think I'm making excuses for why they've advanced this far. It's happening all across the ice in every single series, but it does benefit a guy like him, especially. Um, oh yeah. You know, a little, a little, a little hooking and holding and obstruction here and there to get a little bit of a, an edge. And I think it's also helped, uh, Charlie McAvoy as well, based on when four checkers are coming in. He kind of slows them down a little bit and gives McAvoy a bit more time to operate with the puck. But I don't want to lose sight sure. of the Rask thing. I want to talk a bit more about his performance because I think 
you know, it's not necessarily groundbreaking material for us to say that the goalie is the most important player and he's making all the difference. But it was pretty clear in a hotly contested series, especially in round two against Columbus, that I think he was ultimately the, the main difference maker there and the reason why Boston's advancing and Columbus is going home. And I think that's just kind of a relationship. I think most fan bases have this with their goalie, but it does seem like yeah. from having my finger a bit on the pulse in terms of following some Bruins fans and seeing the discussion online, they've always had, especially in this past few years, a little bit of a weird love-hate relationship with him where it feels like they're really quick to point out his flaws, but then sometimes not as willing to embrace his high points. And then, I don't know, there's a bit of a pushback then. And I don't know, what do you, what do you feel like with the fan base in terms of their relationship with, uh, with Rask and how they're dealing with this recent performance of his? I, I think part of it is goalies being voodoo, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't, you know, if there's a, like how many fans, even, even fans that think they, you know, have an understanding of the game or, you know, I don't want to discredit people, but let's, let's say like fans that, you know, have an understanding of the game who might've played the game. How many of them were actually goalies? How many of them really understand like, you know, the finer points of goaltending? I don't, I try to learn as much as possible, but like, I'm like when I played at a very low level, I was a defenseman and then I was a forward. So I wouldn't, I've never strapped on the pads in my life. I don't know what these guys go through a lot of times. Uh, you know, but I do know that Tuca, for whatever reason, whether it's that or something else, or people don't like, you know, they have bad memories of the 2013 Stanley Cup final with two goals in 17 seconds, whether that's, you know, as people writing Tuca off for, for forever, um, you know, whether it's a few softies that he allowed last year against Toronto, I mean, whatever it is, I feel like his, you know, random January where he saves, you know, 32 of 34 shots, and he's really the reason why they win a game where, you know, his team's kind of flat in front of him. I feel like those kind of get glossed over a lot, you know, more than, say, like the play of a Brad Marchand might where Brad, you know, maybe maybe he's not a great he doesn't have a great game, but he scores a goal. And everybody says, ah, look at Marchand. He's getting it done again. Mm. You know, Tuka's when Tuka's going, I mean, he's he's not flashy. He's not like, you know, Bobrovsky, who's going to you know, slide post to post like a, like a table hockey goalie and, and, you know, cut off a, a crazy, you know, cross crease pass and, and make a really flashy save. He's very positionally sound. He was more athletic when he was younger, but you know, now he's just kind of you know, rebound control, directing the puck away, makes a lot of really solid stops. And, and you know, you look up and he's got 35 saves. Um, yeah, I think he's gotten more notice. I think, I, I think the tide is changing. Um, that being, you know, that being said, <laughs> if he gives up, you know, three goals, uh, you know, in the next game and two of them are kind of stoppable shots. And I think we're, you know, back to square one with Tuca, which is just how it goes in this town. Yeah. Well, I think that's how it goes everywhere. That's the beauty of the postseason. It's, uh, you know, praise or, or, uh, you know, being critical is very fleeting. It's all about what you did in your most recent game. But I do think there's a bit of a, it is a kind of a thankless gig being like a good goalie on, a perennial contender right because i think people yeah. just sort of take it for granted and sort of assume you're going to make the saves and if the bruins win people are going to give the credit to marshan and bergeron and pasternak and chara and mcavoy and so on and so forth whereas if they lose it's very especially if he gives up a couple bad goals it's very clear and to kind of point the blame at his in his direction and be like oh well he's the reason why this team fell short and you know i remember people used to do that with mark andre Fleury in pittsburgh and Corey crawford oh, yeah. in, in chicago and i think this isn't anything necessarily that's unique to tuka rask but he's kind of the most recent example of that in practice. Yeah, he's he's right now. If you look at the numbers at five on five, he's four, almost five goals saved above average. And Freddie Anderson was two point seven. Yeah. So like he he's significantly better. 
you know, it's it's not a stretch to call him the best goal in the playoffs right now. I really don't think it is. And yeah, he's pretty, I'd say, a, a better than average defense in front of him. You know, I don't want to say the Bruins are great defensively, and a lot of that's injuries. Um, but you look at their goals against, you know, throughout the year and just kind of the way that, you know, the number of one goal games uh, that they were in when they had a ton of injuries. He was a big part of them winning games there. That crazy run they went on, they pulled 18 points out of, uh, or, or points out of 18, 18 straight games in January and February. He was a huge reason for that. I think he went like 16-0 and three or something like that. So very impressive. Well, yeah, I think uh, certainly now with Ben Bishop just sitting in an ice bath for the next three minutes after his oh, season's gosh. over, he's probably, yeah. I'd say, it's, yeah, it's fair to, to say that he's the best remaining goalie, and he definitely outplayed Sergei Bobrovsky in that series, and as we look ahead to his matchup with Curtis McElhinney here, I believe we'll get into that a little bit, but, you know, I mean, Columbus beat him, what, 11 times in six games, and one of those was uh, that weird controversial play where the puck probably went into the netting and should have been called off, and they beat him when he wasn't really set, so if you look at that, it's like mm-hmm. 10, 10 goals against in six games, especially with how much they peppered him uh, with chances off the rush and even shorthanded. And it, it felt like they were constantly generating a ton of pressure and he was just a brick wall. And as you mentioned there, I think he's first in the po- postseason amongst goalies and goal saved and 5 on 5 save percentage and overall save percentage. And yeah, I just I wanted to start off this conversation because I know we're going to get into officiating and Brad Marchand dealing with the media and all this stuff. And sometimes it can get a bit over- easily overly negative. I wanted to give a bit of praise here before we get into some of that other shenanigan stuff. Yeah, and, and, you know, the thing, too, that, that I'm impressed with is is his I, I, stats to me, like stats like this are often cherry picked, you know, like to, to, to either puff a guy up or, or, you know, not break a guy down, but just kind of like, you know, I think you know what I'm saying here. Right. Um, people cherry picking stats, but I like Tuca, he closed out that series. He re- like he was their best guy in games four, five, and six, allowed three goals. Uh, you know, two of them, like one of them was off Matt Grizzlick's stick. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other one was off the netting. It shouldn't have counted. Or four goals, excuse me. The other the other was a, a Dean Kukin, of all people, rocket off a one-timer from Panarin where the puck, you know, Brandon Carlo played the cross-ice pass as well as he could have played. It, it just happened to go off his skate. And right to Panarin, who makes a really quick pass, like only he can on that team. Um, and Rask gets beat by a perfect shot from like 17 feet out. The other one was just a really nice shot by Ryan Dezingle. So you tip your cap there. I mean, he was basically as perfect as you could be in the most critical games in the second round against a team that, you know, really gave the Bruins a, a, a much better fight than, you know, certainly anybody expected if you had them matched up, you know, in October. Hmm. But you know, the, certainly the the Bruins weathered that storm, and Columbus kind of gave them everything that they had there. And um, you know, Tuca was uh, the reason that they pulled that series out. I think. Yeah, especially in Game Six, when once the Bruins got that early lead, it felt just felt like he's like, yeah, he's not giving anything up today, no matter what the Blue Jackets do. And uh, that must have been a, a pretty crushing feeling for them. You know, I got I should have introduced you better when we started. Like I, I introduced you as a beat reporter, but I didn't get into the whole fact that you cover the Bruins for the Boston Globe and what we're going to do today and recapping the Blue Jackets series and previewing the Eastern Conference Final. I was just I got overly excited and a bit ahead of myself because I've been thinking about this Bruins Hurricane series coming up, and there's so many different storylines and I didn't know how to get into it because we could really go any million different directions so um, if anyone is still wondering what we're doing here today that's we're going to preview the Eastern Conference Final yeah I'm I'm excited about it too these were 
<laughs> certainly didn't have Carolina in the Eastern Conference final. Uh, I would have b- believed based on what they had coming back that Boston could get there. But um, obviously, I know Boston really well. Um, Carolina is impressive. They're really impressive to me. And I don't know what your take is on them, but they're they're better than I thought they would be. That's for sure. They're not a, they're not a scrappy bunch of underdogs. There's a ton of skill there. They skate really hard and uh, this should be a really fun, fun series. Well, this is a big win for uh, all the analytic stat nerds out there, uh, which I'm lumping myself into. I mean, the Hurricanes for years have obviously been an analytical darling, but have fallen short largely because they couldn't get the goaltending. And, you know, this year they're first in shot share, first in expected goals, third in chances. And the Bruins are right there with them pretty much, especially in the final 25 games or so to end the year after the trade deadline. The Bruins were neck and neck with them. So this is a series as we look ahead um, that's. At five on five, it's just going to be an absolute heavyweight tilt with arguably like two of the best five on five teams in the league. And that's just going to be really fun to watch to see who can get a slight leg up on the competition because they are so closely matched there. Yeah. And it's not what I've come to realize about the Hurricanes. And I totally thought early in the year that they were empty calories, you know, that the shot share thing was like, yeah, it's nice, but, you know, they don't really have the high level players, the high level scoring, the, you know, they don't have guys like Bergeron, like Marchand, you know, but as we've come to realize, Ajo's pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. He's an elite player. Slavin from the back end is, I I would, I would call him an elite player at this point. I don't, I don't think that's a stretch. And then they just have a ton of like, you know, Tara Vinen's close. um, But then they have just a really bunch of solid guys and then a guy and a bunch of guys that are playing like, you know, I know this is like the anti analytics here, but, you know, they're just playing like they don't care. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're playing without pressure. They're like the Bruins have like a few guys like that, like, you know, like a Connor Clifton, you know, who's just kind of here and doesn't really care. He's going to go after everybody and, you know, go 100 miles an hour. Um, Doesn't know what he doesn't know type player. Kane's have a bunch of those guys and they're like just. I don't believe in this momentum that like a lot of people talk about, but you know, I think they're, they are kind of riding a wave a little bit, I guess. Maybe I do believe in momentum. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm having a bit of this like weird uh, personal struggle here myself because I love this hurricanes team. They're so fun to watch since the get go. Um, and it's it's nice to see some of those that underlying process that they've been really good at for years finally lead to results but at the same time there is like now this weird kind of rewriting our history of people trying to uh jam jam narratives that fit what they're looking for where it's like oh well now you know this is a, a gritty group that is playing the right way under rod brindamore and they're doing all the little <laughs> things and it's like i'm willing to buy that you know they're getting different coaching now under in rod brindamore's first year and that they are more resilient and they're having fun out there but they are also a dominant 515 team that checks all the boxes in terms of any possible analytical measure you want to look at either so it's like they get lumped into this kind of category of being a scrappy underdog that's riding the wave and i think that's a fun story and it's kind of like a fun headline to acclimate people to them that might not necessarily be paying attention otherwise but i think at the end of the day this is just like a really good team that's legitimately good and has proven it all year it's not just some sort of a fluky you know three-week mirage yeah and and when i look at how you build a team too you know i like the kind of those old school and i hope really hope i don't sound like one of the 200 hockey men here but you know there's like you need balance you need different player roles and things like that they have that they have 
you know, guy like Justin Williams. You know, they have kind of young, young horses like Aho. I, I guess Vogel's becoming one of those guys. Uh, Teravainen, Sveshnikov looks like he can get there. Um, they have a reliable veteran, you know, center kind of like a like a David Krejci in Boston, you know, like in Jordan Stahl. Not mm-hmm. quite the you know the same same type of player, obviously, but just that really solid second line guy that you know is going to kind of hold you down. Um, you know, no matter who's on his wing. Um, you know, the D, uh, you need a good top four. They have that certainly and, and tons of offensive activity, which I think is really exciting about them too. You know, and those guys take chances in, in ways that other teams don't. Um, you know, and, and then the goaltending is <laughs> the wild card for me with them. And, and right. they've got that. So you really can't argue with that either. I, I don't know. The Bruins, uh, when I talked to them today, you know, they didn't really know who they were going to face. So, uh, do you? <laughs> do you have an idea there? Well, or, I imagine it's going to be McElhinney just based on how he played to in that series. And obviously, if he falters and Magic's good to go health wise, I imagine they'll make that switch. But I think it'll yeah. be McElhinney to start. Yeah. So, you know, and then, and then maybe they'll get Furlan back, who has been an absolute monster yeah. uh, against the Bruins. He's destroyed Marcus Johansson and, uh, David Backus tried to fight him and that didn't mm. exactly go too well either. So, um, by the way, I need to get your thoughts on Bacchus. Is yeah. that just like, to me, that's one of the better stories in, in the playoffs that just the fact that, I mean, former captain, gigantic price tag. It would be like if Milan Lucic came back and, and was all of a sudden contributing again. And, mm. But the thing is, they're not, they're not putting Bacchus in a role where, like, you know, they're saying, here, go be Connor McDavid's, you know, left wing. They're playing him like nine minutes a night. And he's scoring goals and he's assisting on goals that, you know, for him to do that, I, I don't know. I feel like obviously part of what I do is being around these guys and building relationships and stuff like that, you know, to try to tell their stories. And you just, I, I feel good for a guy like Bacchus, you know, it's hard being 35 myself and, yeah. and, and completely washed uh, to not feel good for a guy like that. So it is, but at the same time, uh, not saying it was a good signing, by the way. No, that's, of that's course, of matter. course, of course. No, no, he's definitely contributing to this. It's, it, but it is like, I was a Dean Kukana who hit him with that elbow halfway through that series. It's like whenever yeah. he has any sort of head related trauma and, and he went through that weird spell towards the end of the season where he was trying to make an impact by fighting seemingly every night. And it's like when stuff right. like that happens, I get a little squeamish just because I know the history there and, sure. and, and the potential long-term ramifications of that on his life. If we're just looking at this as David Backus as a human and not the hockey player. And so stuff like that is like very alarming to me. So whenever I see him take a big hit or get into a fight, I'm just like, Oh, can that please not happen right now? But you're right. It's, it's a, yeah. the contributions are obviously, um, you know, kind of like gravy for them. Cause I imagine they didn't really expect anything of that. It kind of, based on the money they paid in and, and what they were getting the past couple of years was probably viewed as a bit of a sunk cost. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think a lot of, a lot of fans certainly, but even I think people in the organization kind of wrote them off and were like, you know, what are we going to, what are we going to do with this guy? I mean, the no trade expires, you know, we'll try to maybe pass him off to a, you know, a, a team on the cap floor and they still might do that. But, you know, I, I do think by the way, it's the, you know, the whole notion of David Backus as the wrestler, you know, just kind of uh, making everybody, um, you know, as you said, squeamish uh, by fighting every night. That I think that was a little overblown. I think that was kind of like, I think that became bigger than it really was. He wasn't really saying, like, I'm going to go out and fight right. every single night. He did have a couple. But, yeah, for a guy who's been knocked around as much as he has, it's, it's certainly, uh, you know, I thought it was a bad look even to say that, you know. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, he is, he is one of those kind of old school guys. That's how he, you know, that's how he got to where he was by playing that style. And, you know, he's, uh, obviously players like him being phased out of the game and, and not saying that's like a, a good thing that guys are losing jobs, but certainly, you know, you don't want to, uh, to see a guy like David Backus, you know, rubber legged like he was after yeah. JT Miller hit him last year out of the playoffs. I mean, that was like, it's a tough pretty scary. Yeah. yeah, no, really. Well, I wanted to get back to you were mentioning the Hurricanes and sort of how they have all these players that, you know, fit this prototypical role and are doing their job and doing it well. And I was looking at that when I was sizing up this matchup and, and sort of looking at the differences between these two teams. And I think that's what makes this matchup so appealing. It that is the contrasting styles in so many different ways based on how they play and sort of their stature in the league and notoriety and how they got here but there is also this element of like how they were constructed from a David and Goliath perspective where you know the Bruins you, we mentioned Bacchus he's their sixth highest paid player this year I believe at six million and the Hurricanes highest paid player Jordan Stahl is also making six million and that discrepancy there in terms of how they're allocating their resources and how they're constructed is so fascinating to me because if other teams are looking at this Hurricanes team and trying to you know glean any lessons from them or try to figure out how they were made to be so successful they do remind me a bit of that Vegas team last year where mm-hmm. most of their team is just guys who are in that like 23 to 27 year old range which we view as sort of your physical prime obviously they have guys like Svechnikov who are young and then Justin Williams on the older side of things but most of those guys are in that prime range and most of them are sort of making like between four and six million dollars and so I think that the dichotomy of how these two teams are constructed is also just another layer of intrigue in the contrasting styles between the two teams yeah I think if you're I think if you're looking at both the teams you're saying I mean, there's a lot of GMs across the league that would look at both of these teams and just like throw up their hands and say, you know, well, we're not that and we can't get there. Because like, you know, you mentioned the Hurricanes kind of maxing out with Jordan Stahl's contract. They have tons of guys that are on great deals. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, Tara Vinen, when he jumps up next year, to I think it's like 5.4. You know, that's still going to be a very good deal. Um, You know, Ajo's got to get paid, I'm pretty sure, um, you know, coming up as an RFA. But yep. You know he'll he'll be their biggest contract, obviously. But you know then like Jacob Slavin's at five point three. Well, you know what they did a great job forever. Of, they did a great job of like knowing who they had and making calculated bets before they really blew up, right? So whether it's Slavin or yeah. Pesci or a lot Golf of these guys, the yeah, it's yeah. like it's like let's just pay this guy over long term and basically set him and his family up for the rest of his life and generations to come. But it'll be a great deal for us down the road. And you know we we've seen especially with defensemen if feels like teams are making those types of bets but clearly carolina is going that route and when you're not gonna spend the big bucks as some of the other teams you need to be efficient in that way it just kind of works out for for teams too though like for example like like florida did that with um you know with their guys like they paid trocheck they paid ekblad um you know they they locked up barkov like with the ekblad thing like you could argue that he's that's not really paying off right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He he, he really he, has he had a good year this year. Guy. He yeah, much better, mm-hmm. much better. Still, I I'm you know maybe it's just covering that team in the past, and uh, maybe I haven't paid en- enough attention this year. But you know, that was looking like a pretty bad contract, um, or at least an overpayment, not a bad contract. There's plenty of bad contracts mm-hmm. out there. But the the Bruins, I mean, when I say like GMs throwing up their hands, it's like <laughs> you have Bergeron, Pasternak, and Martian all under all, all under seven million. 
Yeah. Like that's well, especially the Pasternak one. It's like, Oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do there? I mean, you know, and, and you look at the Atlantic and what the Bruins are up against and you know, what turned the cap decisions Toronto and Tampa have to make. And, you know, the Bruins are, if they're going to get more out of this core here, you know, they're, they're set up fairly well to do that based on the contracts that they have, you know, at the high end. A good story for you would be uh, tracking down, I don't know if he's still his current agent, but figuring out what happened there with the David Pasternak contract and whether he's been yeah. fired into the sun yet or whether he's still <laughs> representing him. Because I can't imagine Pasternak, especially with some of these deals that uh, young comparable RFAs are going to be signing these days. I imagine that each time one of those new deals comes out, he's just like, oh, my God. Yeah, well, knowing knowing him, I mean, all kidding aside, like knowing him, I think people around him are pretty pissed off. But I don't think Pasternak himself cares. I think he's honestly... Like he probably, you know, like anybody, he'd want to make more money, mm. but he's pretty happy with life. You know, he's just that type of guy. Well, which, he's, he's got know, that Dunkin' Donuts money coming in too, right? So, right. Yeah, it's big. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned that that was a national, that's a national thing, by the way. I did not know that. I thought maybe those, con- those commercials were regional. So no, I think they show them during know. NBC broadcast. Yeah. Mm. But you know, I, I didn't know if it was like a, a regional thing or mm-hmm. if like, you know, there was other commercials they had, but yeah, David Pasternak coast to coast. He also, I I did a story on him and his Chinese marketing too. He's got like a deal with a, uh, like a drink, like a milk drink company in China. Hmm. Is, is that a, known? No, is I have no there? idea. No. Tell me huh. about it. What's, what's, what, what is he selling? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not David Pasternak's agent, but he's, <laughs> he's, you know, his face is on a milk, like a kid's drink, like for, that's mm. like a milk drink in China. So I had no idea David Pasternak was huge in China, but apparently that's, apparently he is i like it um matt let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and we're going to pick up this conversation on the other end of it sponsoring today's episode of the hockey pdo cast is SeatGeek. much like this show aims to change the way you think and talk about hockey SeatGeek's changing the way the ticket industry works it knows that that industry as a whole hasn't really changed in a long time, and that's because they haven't had to. There's been a bunch of big companies who have been around forever, and because they've kind of cornered the market, they don't really need to worry about catering to the customer and making the user experience as easy as possible because they know that, or they used to know that people would keep flogging back at them regardless. But now SeatGeek's come into the mix and really prioritized making sure that the customer comes first. When you go on the App Store and you look at some of the reviews, that's kind of the common message there. I think they've got over 50,000 five-star reviews now, and it's a lot of people kind of parroting exactly what I say on the show, which is that SeatGeek's made buying tickets easier than ever before by saving you time, money, and effort. So what SeatGeek does is they pull millions of tickets from all over the web into one place. They rate each of those tickets that are available uh, as a deal based on a scale of 1 to 10, and then they display them on this really easy-to-use interactive seat map so that it's simple to find what you're looking for. You're basically looking for the green dots, which denote good deals, and you're staying away from the red dots, which are overpriced bad deals. Plus, once you actually get your ticket, you can kind of rest assured and be full of confidence knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get because every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone and I've found time and time again that it's the easiest way to shop for tickets, whether it's uh, sporting events, concerts, uh, theater, stand-up comedy, what have you. Um, They always come through and they always have what I'm looking for. And as my listener, in case you, for whatever reason, are still reluctant to check them out, they're going to sweeten the deal, the deal a little bit for you by giving you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So if you've been kind of hesitant now that it's 
we've got postseason hockey and basketball on and baseball season in full swing. There's a lot of good sporting events to go and check out. So why don't you just try to give it a shot? And SeatGeek supports our show. So we hope you're going to support them as well because it comes back around and helps us out. So to get in on it, just use our promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Remember, that's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Now let's get back to the show. All right. Um, I wanted to touch on a few other sort of Bruins-centric topics before we get more into sizing up this upcoming series. Um, do you want to? I'll let you pick since you're the guest. Do you want to talk about Marshan first, or do you want to talk about officiating as a whole, or do you want to talk about sort of how interesting the Bruins making it back to the conference final for the first time since 2013 is, considering? sort of the core they have and sort of how unique it is for a team to reopen a window this late in the game. I have to admit I'm fairly, I've got a few things to say on Marsham, but not right. too many. Let's do that first. Let's do that first. <laughs> it's been, out. I would much rather talk about the construction of the team and how it's kind of like, uh, there aren't too many teams that have been able to reload like they have, but the Marshan thing I don't know. Why don't you start with that one? Because I'm basically like, it's it's kind of ridiculous to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm very like, I personally don't care about the story at all. And I roll my eyes when I see people taking super strong stances in either direction. Yes. Yes. I do like, I listen, first off, um, I'm not sure. I haven't talked to Kyle Bukowskis about it. I'm not like... It, I imagine he seems like a good sport and he probably wasn't personally offended by it and he, and he sort of no, played it off well and I think he's a, a pro's pro and so if anything that was kind of good exposure and had people talking so I'm sure he's not too upset about it but I get the argument that like the guy's just trying to do his job and part of his job is getting quality sound bites out of the player and so on and so forth but at the same time I also I think the whole concept of player interviews especially in those moments, like the intermission one, when the guy is like aggressively panting and trying to get his breath and you have a reporter just, you know, asking him generic questions and you don't really learn anything. Like I I could perfectly fine. I'd be perfectly fine with just doing away with those because we rarely ever learn anything insightful. Um, So I get from a player's perspective where, especially if you've been burned in the past, you just kind of, you know, you don't want to deal with it, but obviously he could have done a, a better job. I just don't, I don't know. Well, like, what, what do you think about yeah. it? I really, I there's, don't care. There's a lot to unpack there. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think Marshan was annoyed at the coverage that he got for, you know, first of all, the guy's a hundred, you know, he's a hundred point player this year. Mm-hmm. Right. And he also has a, one of the longest rap sheets in the league. So I don't think he can sit there and, you know, complain, not, you know, not that he is, but if he wanted to, you know, about the coverage of him, because he brings it on himself. I mean, everybody kind of realizes that with the way he plays, but, you know, he was kind of after the some of the sillier things like the, the stick stomp on Cam Atkinson in game one. It's like, did he have to do that? Absolutely not. It was a rat play. He knows it. But, you know, that kind of that went huge and people were asking him about that. And, um, you know, he, he does these things and he gets asked about them. And usually he's a pretty good sport about it. I don't really know what what set him off in, in particular in this case. I What I heard is that he just wasn't happy about the way that. You know, he was being knocked around on some of the panel shows in Canada. Mm. I understand that if that's Those the case. Darn I mean, Canadians. Well, you know, it's it's back home for him, right? Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, it's a, it hits a little too close to home. Maybe 
you know, maybe one of his family members got rattled by it. I have no clue, but it's, you know, for whatever reason, he got his wires crossed and, and certainly that's what he does, um, you know, on the ice and, you know, apparently, you know, off the ice. But my read on that actual night is that it, I guess maybe Kyle, who I don't really know, you know, we've had a few interactions and he seems very cool, but, um, you know, I, maybe he just picked a bad time to, you know, throw that kind of line of questioning at, at Martian talking about his skates being sharpened or whatever. Um, I also know Martian was pretty annoyed that, you know, about the coverage of the head punch, which I think, you know, yeah. is that a, a quote unquote hockey play? Absolutely not. But, you know, he's looking at Jake DeBrusque being mauled by Columbus and, you know, he decided to do what he did. And, you know, it was just that kind of series. There was stuff like that happening all over the place. So, you know, I think he got, felt a little picked on. But then again, that's when you're a 100-point player and you have a rap sheet like that, you know, you're going to get picked on. That's kind of just the, comes with the territory. Well, and that's that's the thing. I think, like, this stuff does happen. And, and obviously, we uh, place a spotlight on it and, and talk about it more because it is Marshawn as opposed to if someone else does it. Like, I don't really see people talking that much about how Dean Kuka and for no reason elbow david backus in the head like it's if barshan did that it would be a, a 48 oh, hour God. news cycle but he's also sure. i don't think anyone's gonna you know feel too sorry for him because he clearly has brought this upon himself based on his actions in the past and that's kind of comes to the territory right so it it is a bit of a double-edged sword and i don't know i ultimately think that it's weird to say but this is kind of like good for the game because it just has people like talking about it whereas opposed if he just gives some sort of generic hockey player cliched interview after that game it's like it's you know it comes and goes and no one really thinks twice about it whereas this kind of adds another uh you know layer to the conversation and everyone's talking about it for the next 48 hours so i don't know i i, I the people that get too worked up about it one way or another i'm just like there's so many other more important things for us to care about than this yeah and you know you are right about the whole you know, there maybe there needs to be a villain thing in the playoffs. I mean, he was asked a lot about that. You know, in in, in the Toronto series, you know, like kind of are you, you know, is are you, you know, can you keep your can you keep your hat on? You know, can you can you can you stay in a straight line, Brad? And and he's like, man, I've been doing it all year. Have you been paying attention? You know, but people have pegged him this way. You know, and and you know, I'm I'm no different than any other reporter covering the team. You know, I've, I've chronicled his missteps and all that stuff. And I wrote a big story in, in September about how, you know, they've talked to him and, you know, the, obviously this is coming into a new season where he had just ended the previous season by licking someone. And, and, you know, so it was, it's all fair. And, and he understands that. I, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain he has a pretty solid grasp on how this all works. And, you know, sometimes he just doesn't want to play the game and, and uh, you know, take his ball and go home. So that's that's apparently what happened here. And But, you know, I would expect him to – I don't think we'll have another outburst. But then again, you know, maybe just because I said that, <laughs> there's going to be some stupid controversy after after game three. Well, and listen, I'm certainly not the type of person that gets, like, on their moral high horse and gets all holier than Dow and, and, and looks down upon him. I, I think it is a bit of a frustration. Like, he's such an amazing hockey player. And when uh, – He's doing he's his thing fun to watch. on the ice, like the pucks are flying around and he's always, he's just tenacious and he's, he's a, a tremendous, super effective hockey player. And so sometimes like there's a fine line between 
being a pest and being a villain and and i appreciate that side of things but then when you're you know physically harming people and doing just outrageous stuff that that they can cross a line there so i i get people's frustration and irritation with him and he's also um burned so many bridges and done so many things in the past that i also get the side of the argument for people that are like listen i'm 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 done with this guy like he's uh he's just pissed us off one too many times so i get it let's 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 move on and let's talk about uh a funner topic, which is uh, the officiating this postseason. <laughs> I will say this, this, this though about more well, quickly on Martian. Mm-hmm. Like he does stuff with the puck that you just don't see. Like yeah. the way that he, I love the way that he will attack the defender. Like he just, he wants to get like underneath the guy and then figure it out. Like it's, it's, I love how he's able to do that. Like he it initiates the contact, but he always, he'll do it low and he'll protect the puck, and then he'll just, like, something will open up around him, and he'll find a guy. I love that about him. I love watching him do that, and his puck control and his, the way he wins battles along the walls. Like, it's awesome to watch on a night-in, night-out basis. It's like, you know, when you watch him and Bergeron together and their chemistry with Pasternak, I mean, it's it's one of the things I like doing most about, you know. Like, it's one of the things I like most, you know, when I, I know I get to watch that when I show up, you know, to watch the Bruins. So, you know, he's... I think he not enough people talk about that for maybe for his liking, hmm. but whatever. I mean, well, and listen, I uh, to, to to that point. I mean, we're talking about a guy who in the past four seasons had 37, 39, 34 and 36 goals. And yeah. he always shoots well above league average and is clearly a very talented shooter in his own right. But I do also appreciate the element of like, He's playing with Patrice Bergeron, who's a lethal slot shooter. He's playing with David Pasternak, who they wanted to get going early in this postseason and is has one of the most wicked one-timers in the league. And I think especially in that Toronto series, there were so many instances where I thought he probably could have taken a shot himself, but made just a brilliant yeah. cross-ice pass to set one of those guys up. And so when you're talking about a guy who could easily score himself, but kind of takes that next step and makes it better for others like those are the types of players that i really love watching yeah for sure he, and he's developed that part of his game he, like he attacks the weaknesses in his game like all the great players do and, you know there was a, a run that he went on early in the year where he was just passing all the time and you know everybody was asking him why didn't he shoot you know and so i you know and that, that kind of goes back to like him being picked at like you know everybody's kind of always asking him like you know why aren't you why aren't you doing this why aren't you doing that and i i think part of it's just his nature. Like people don't ask Zidane Ochara, you know, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Like, you know, it's maybe it's cause he's six foot nine and gigantic and has the air of someone that could, you know, snap you like a twig. Mm. And, you know, you talk to Marshan and he's, you know, shorter than most of, or some of the reporters that are out there. Right. So people feel like they can go at him for whatever reason. And he, to his credit, I mean, he's, he deals with a lot of BS and he has a really good, kind of humor about it and he'll clap back and you know we all in boston and the media here like pretty much enjoy the give and take so um he's an entertaining guy to cover but yeah yeah i, I imagine he, he's yeah i mean well for you i mean it's great having a guy like that, that you're covering obviously never uh, never a dull moment but you know with the officiating um it really does feel like we're reaching a kind of boiling point and i say this with full acknowledgement that i don't think this is anything new like i think in the past, all these same concerns, all these same questions have been happening. I just think now with sort of social media and visibility and transparency, like it, it does yeah. feel like something has to change here. And I'm talking both about um, 
how the league deals with headshots and player safety, how yeah. um, like major major penalties and reviewing them. I know that's come up a bunch, and obviously with the recent uh, Charlie McAvoy incident, and and there's many others in this postseason. And so it's it, it just uh, an irritation for me because the hockey is so great and is being played at such a high yes. level, but it seems like every night there's a yeah but and it's some sort of silly incident that probably could have been avoided but the league just chooses to bury its head in the sand and pretend like nothing's happening yeah i feel like like there is some of that where every single year we say this is the best playoffs ever and this is also the worst the referees have ever been like it feels like that's something people say a lot but (laughs) i feel like i feel like both those things are true this year you know, this has been a bananas postseason from a drama perspective, from a, you know, overtime games, from, you know, a controversy, you know, a non-officiating controversy platform and, you know, I, I, or standpoint. And, and I feel some of it is marred by the officiating, you know, that, that we've seen. I mean, that I was obviously I was there for in Columbus for the, you know, for the puck off the netting and, and. I just can't believe that that goal happened. I mean, you know, what if that was in overtime? Yeah. You know, I mean, what if that was in a, in a, a clinching game and it just seems so obvious. It seemed like, how can we miss a puck that goes off the net that rattles the net that has everybody up in the press box, like looking at it and like pointing and being like, wait, are we serious? This is going to count, you know, when fans are in the lower bowl or pointing up and being like, Hey, the puck hit the net, you know? And then for some reason we can't find a way to, to, to take it off the board it's just surprising. And, you know, I dug into it, you know, I talked to the, the people in the league and kind of why that might've happened. And I, I understand that it's a combination of human error with the referees missing it. And, and, you know, they're, they're not really being, a uh, something in place where they can effectively look at the video in time for the, the play to keep going on for, you know, for there to be some semblance of game flow. Cause obviously that's an, a, 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 you know, an important thing too. You know, you don't want to, you don't want more video reviews, but you know, we want to try to get it right. So I don't know what the answer is. I, I feel like we're in this weird point where we have a lot of available technology, you know, things like player tracking are coming. I mean, they're doing all sorts of things with pucks and um, you know, there, <laughs> there's like, frozen pucks now <laughs> you know or the you know they they're doing right. they're doing all all sorts of stuff we have cameras everywhere but i feel like we haven't come to a place where we can effectively you know utilize all that technology to both keep the game flow going and get every single call right i guess the lesson is maybe we're not going to well, we're not going to, but I think there's like certain things where it's like, okay, well, this is silly that in 2019 it's still happening. I think the ironic part of this whole thing is I think the crowd that argues for, you know, changing the way the games are officiated in the postseason and letting the players play and not having referees influence directly the results of a game, it feels like in a roundabout way by letting certain stuff go and having this kind of nebulous definition of what is a penalty and what is a headshot and what is a goal. Uh, if anything, it's more directly impacting the result of the game than if they just actually called the game by the rules and, and iron some of this stuff out. Like, I don't know that. I think that's kind of the frustration for a lot of people, myself included. Yeah. And, and there's this kind of blanket acceptance of it's playoff hockey. That's the way it is. And, I get that too. I mean, you know, I think, you know, part of the thrill of playoff hockey is that it's faster, it's harder, it's more, you know, I don't want to say like brutal hockey is a good thing, but you know, there's certainly more physicality. Um, I do worry about the player safety. Um, you know, and I think 
players when they're out of the heat of you know competition they do too um but yeah and it's it, it, it i guess i don't really see a groundswell to change it from that perspective like i don't think if you pulled players you know in the off season when they're away from the game like would they all like what percentage of them would say you know yeah i really want things to be called tighter in the playoffs you know and and obviously that does benefit the you know the the hard part is that does benefit some teams i mean yes. obviously if the bruins are you know playing the way that they do they're constructed the oh, way they, that they love are it. yeah of course they're not gonna they're not gonna want things to be you know called more tightly columbus the same way and you know uh, there are certainly teams that uh you know can't hang in, in that arena as well as those teams can and and uh you know they kind of get the short end that way well i'm a believer that if you establish parameters the players are going to adapt and i'm speaking mostly about mm-hmm. um you know headshots here because we always get into this argument of like you know the players there's a certain onus on them to respect each other and not endanger each other by going after the head and then you can be like oh well you know if the league allows certain things or if you can get away with it like players are naturally going to push the envelope and push the boundary and see what they can get away with and i think if you just laid a law down and go like we are based on all the research we have with cte and with head trauma and we're going to take this very seriously and if you hit someone in the head you we're going to throw the book at you i think players will eventually adapt no matter how fast and physical the game is that's just it's like because if they don't they're going to be penalized they're not going to play their coaches are going to get furious with them and bench them and so like this stuff will eventually get ironed out but i think it goes back to the league and what they're willing to let get let the players get away with and i think that's where fans are uh, up in arms about it yeah and i think when you put the you know when you put the screws to the league as far as like a concussion lawsuit and kind of that getting more serious than you know forcing the league to act i mean whenever we get to that point i don't know but yeah it's going to be a bumpy road from you know now we have you know charlie mcavoy and josh anderson shaking hands and patting each other in the chest you know and smiling and you know, after game six, you know, like, like an hour and a half or whatever it was after, you know, he, you know, hits him in the head, then, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy point A to point B. So no, it's we'll not, see. it's not, but I think like a good example of this is in the NFL. I know like they've made a, a very, um, concerted effort to protect quarterbacks. And I think players have adapted in terms of how they hit them and, and sort of what they get away with. And so I think that's something for the league to, to really look at and consider strongly, but this certainly isn't just the Bruins related topic. I mean, it seems like every night there is some sort of a, a new incident that has people talking about it. And, and it is a shame that that's what we're focusing on rather than the, uh, the high level that's being played. At. And, and I should say all of this, like the game is so fast these days. And I think that's why it is reaching a bit of a boiling point because it is becoming harder and harder to officiate in real time with how fast and strong some of the guys are. Yeah. And I think if you, you know, if you took some of the Zineno Chara in his prime era obstruction and put it back in the game, you'd slow the game down. Yeah. But you might make it a little more safer. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you might, you might actually have, you know, fewer kind of, back of the end boards you know collisions that look like car crashes and you know but then again who do we really want that too so i'd love to sit in on these meetings with the league and figure it out i don't there's a great documentary that i don't know if anybody can find it i think it's on youtube still but it's like the making of the nhl i think cbc did it in like 1998 but it's like all access like behind the scenes you have like brian burke and you know other people um you know, Gary Bettman, it's like their discussions. I was watching this like three weeks ago. That's why I bring it up. Like their discussions of like, you know, what they want the game to look like is absolutely fascinating. Um, I would recommend checking it out. Maybe we can post a link or something later, Mm -hmm. but, um, 
yeah, be interesting to see what that looks like in 2019, 2020. Yeah. Um, okay, let's... Let's talk a bit more about the Hurricanes and this upcoming matchup because there's so many angles for us to dissect here. I mean, it really does feel like, you know, it's like the Bruins are the favorite, the Hurricanes are the underdog, sort of villain versus hero, speed versus power. Like, there's so many contrasting styles here. What what are you looking at in this series in terms of the thing that um, strikes you as most interesting, teeing it up and sort of what you're going to be watching as we get going here? Well, the Bruins' energy reserves, for one, uh, you know, Carolina, to me, I mean, they struck me as one of the fastest, hardest skating teams in the league, and I assume they're still there, given how much hockey they've had to play so far. And the Bruins have just gone through two really grueling series, and they're they're older, um, their core is older, the players that they need to be at their best are older. So I'm curious to see how if this gets to you know, five, six, seven games, you know, how, where are the Bruins at? Um, you know, I don't, I think they're going to have maybe one day off, you know, they're going to go every other day. Like most series are, they might have one kind of like extra break day. If, uh, you know, if, 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 uh, depending on what happens tonight in the game, you know, game seven, but, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, that's going to be, that's number one, just kind of see where the team is at. But, you know, as far as kind of how they match up, you know, I, I can't wait to see if a guy like Sebastian Ajo can can rise, you know, to to the challenge, you know, of, of his first kind of significant, uh, you know, postseason hockey year. Well, then the the energy reserves and the fatigue effect, I think, is especially if like what's interesting to me with all these matchups is, especially with two teams with contrasting styles, is who can dictate the terms of sort of the way the games are played at and the pace it's played at. Mm-hmm. And the Hurricanes thrive and they're at their absolute best when their games are just at this frenetic back and forth pace and yeah. it's helter skelter. And the Bruins clearly don't want to play that way. <laughs> and so I think it's going to be really fascinating to see who can control it from that perspective because, you know, we, I think we can learn a lot from the round two matchups as well because, you know, the Bruins faced a very similar opponent in Columbus in terms of this kind of like depth balanced attack that plays at a really high pace and Carolina is very similar and for Carolina's perspective they played an Islanders team that wants to slow it down wants to dump it in and forecheck and really kind of put their put their weight on you and really make you work for everything and as that series went going got going for Carolina they really opened it up and and forced the Islanders to play more of a trading chances back and forth track meet style of game and clearly they were out of their depth and so from Boston's perspective I think clearly managing that and dictating the the pace of the play is going to be sort of one of the most interesting things to watch game in and game out because I imagine both teams are going to view that as sort of the barometer for how successful things are going to go for them. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, the Columbus series certainly wasn't wide open to my eye. I mean, it had its it had its stretches, but there's a lot of Boston puck, puck control, a lot of Boston cycle from you know the Bergeron line, but also from like the Corrali line. Um, you know, when he got back in, he was big in that, just kind of wearing, you know, wearing uh, the opposing you know guys down with just you know working along the boards, cutting back, cutting back, cutting back, mm-hmm. <laughs> cutting back again. Yep. Um, you know, that's a game that that the Bergeron line wants to play as well. Obviously, they're you know much more dangerous. Uh, you know, with the when they do get their chances, but you know, and then you have like Boston's second line is they want to slow it down with Krejci. You know, that's his entire game is just you know kind of float around, draw two guys to him, and then, you know, make a ridiculous pass to Jake DeBrusque, who's charging at the net. Um, 
they've added David Backus to that line, so that makes him even slower. Um, but, you know, they're big and, and, you know, they want to bother the goalie in front. And, uh, you know, that's kind of just set up shop there and, you know, cycle it around and get a chance from the outside and, you know, then get a rebound. It's not the most exciting thing sometimes, but, you know, that's kind of their M.O., I think it is um, exciting from like a hockey nerd X's and O's perspective. I think this series provides so many little like fascinating wrinkles like that that are going to be played out. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like we're talking about Marshan and how well he protects the puck. Obviously, he's part of that. And, you know, Bergeron will do that all day and try to get Pasternak open for a one-timer. The biggest thing that I'm, you know, I, I guess if, if you're looking at it from the, you know, aside from special teams, which I don't know, I, I think people have written about the, you know, Carolina's penalty kill being bad and, and Boston's power play being lethal. And I think that's definitely going to, that's going to be a factor here. I mean, you know, the, that has to, that's something that Carolina has to prove that they can stop that, you know, that, that man advantage for the Bruins. But, um, you know, I think I want to see how Carolina attacks, you know, Zidane Ochara and, and Tory Krug and, um, you know, especially those two guys and whoever the Bruins have in, you know, whether it's Steve Camper, Connor Clifton, um, you know, because Kevin Miller's out right now and I don't think he's going to be involved in this series. He's, you know, one of their hardest defenders and, uh, you know, they have, uh, Connor Clifton in there because John Moore is not available. Moore's really hasn't been great for them, but he's a, you know, really good skater and he's a big body. So, um, you know, it, how do they attack a smaller guy like Tori Krug and a large immobile guy like Zeno Chara? Um, Columbus decided to go right at Chara. You know, they, they went from let's chip the puck behind him to let's just try to just right attack him one-on-one. And you don't really see that too often. You know, they really, they said, forget it. You know, we don't think that, you know, he's going to poke the puck away. And they were proven right a lot of times. Um, so that to me is a, a major concern for Boston, especially, you know, in game one with Charlie McAvoy out. Hmm. Um, you know, he's takes a lot of the load off charge just by being young and, and mobile. <laughs> Um, so that's, uh, that would be a concern if I'm Boston. It would. Okay. I want to, there's so much here to unpack. I want to, let's take one more quick break and then we're going to get into some of the matchup things that I've highlighted. If you're a fan of the Columbus Blue Jackets or the Dallas Stars or any team that's recently been eliminated from the postseason and you're figuring out how you're going to get rid of that playoff beard you've been growing, you're in luck because sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast is Harry's Razors. And I'm going to tell you exactly why you should join the 10 million people who have made the plunge and tried Harry's and been happy with it. So here's what you do. You go on harrys.com slash PDO and they're going to give you a trial offer. You're going to get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. You get a weighted ergonomic handle. You get a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade. You get rich lathering shave gel and you get a travel blade cover. So you really get everything you need from them. And as my listener of the show, they're going to give you um, a chance to try it out. And if you don't love your shave, you're going to let them know and they'll give you a full refund because Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. Harry's is, it's amazing because their founders realized and kind of became aware of the fact that as consumers we're tired of paying up for razors that are overpriced and overdesigned. They know their great shave doesn't necessarily come from these kind of fancy gimmicks like vibrating heads, flex balls, or handles that look like spaceships. These are all tactics that the leading brands used over the years to raise price, but you don't really need that. All you really need is a simple, clean design with quality, durable blades at a fair price, and that's exactly what Harry's is providing. 
you get a close shave. It's smooth. There's a comfortable glide. You won't have any razor burn or nasty nicks and bruises after. It really gives you everything you need. So if you're getting rid of that playoff beard or if, you know, you're just trying to look your best uh i highly recommend checking out harry's and seeing if it fits your style because i certainly can only speak great things of it so just make sure you go to harrys.com pdo to redeem your offer and let them know that i sent you to help support the show that's harrys.com pdo now let's get back to the podcast all right i think the special teams are we can't overstate uh the importance of them especially you know you mentioned the carolina penalty kill in the bruins power play i think just the two power plays couldn't be more polar opposite from the perspective sure. of the bruins were i think like the second most efficient power play in the regular season and they've been the first uh in the postseason i think they lead the league with 10 power play goals in these playoffs and it seems like if you give them four chances they're probably going to bury at least one of them with this hurricane seem like that power play is just uh such a mess it's like the one thing with this team that is just so aesthetically unappealing it's just a lot of like long justin falk shots and yeah i i I hate watching it and and it clearly hasn't been successful so i think especially if this game if this series does get into kind of a more physical uh style of play where there are more penalties called and there are more power plays i think the advantage clearly shifts in Boston's direction, whereas I think Carolina wants as much of the series to be played at five on five as humanly possible. Do your thing, Brad Marchand. You will not be uh, hurting your team. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and you know, we're talking styles make fights, and we're talking about how both teams want to control the pace the series is played at. I'm really fascinated to watch how this Bruins defense um, controls the breakout against uh carolina's forecheck because the blue jackets uh are considered to be one of the top four checking teams and i think they really crippled the lightning in terms of what they were they were capable of with that and i thought the bruins did a really good job of adapting as that series went along where instead of having their defensemen just throw wild outlet passes they were doing a lot of like coming back and having one guy as a bumper on the wall and then the center streaking up the middle and making short precise passes and i'm really curious to see how that's going to work against carolina because they want to turn the puck over as much as possible and have this tenacious forecheck but it's much more of a kind of layered approach with waves of forecheckers coming and i'm not sure how the bruins are going to be able to, to kind of handle themselves against that yeah i i think that remains to be seen um you know i, I bruins forwards have been really committed to reloading you know they've they've they do play a team structure that is hard to break in the sense that they have really smart centers they have pretty good speed on the wings and they have guys like Grizzlick, McAvoy, you know, Krug, you know, who can skate pucks out of trouble and make a really good first pass. And, you know, and something else that, you know, was big in the last series was the emergence of Brandon Carlo in that, like he's, he's always been a really good defender and he got really comfortable. And I don't know if it was just something that he saw against Columbus in particular, but I've never seen him make, the kind of passes he was making where he would make kind of almost like a McAvoy esque pass from one side of the rink to the other across the entire neutral zone. Like that's stuff that he just didn't do before. Just didn't have the confidence to do it. But you know, now that he's kind of feeling himself a little bit, he can, he can be a big factor in that regard because he does defend so well and take some of the, you know, the load off Krug a little bit. Um, obviously Krug's, you know, one of the better puck movers on the team and I'd say in the league. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, 
I think, you know, the physicality of Columbus on the forecheck did bother the Bruins at first, but then they kind of seemed to adjust to that. So we'll see if, if Carolina can kind of rattle the Bruins that way. I'm not entirely sure, um, you know, if they can from that regard, just mm-hmm. based on the personnel, but we'll, we shall see there. Well, that's why, yeah, sorry. You're a Matt Grizzly. You're a Matt Grizzly guy, right? I love Matt Grizzly. He is so smooth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, I don't know why he doesn't get more recognition. Maybe it's just like he plays a third pairing role, but I think he's been great this postseason. Just the way, the way he can skate pucks out of trouble has been, has been very impressive to me from what he's been able to do. Cause he's a guy that like, he defends really well too, you know, with his stick, you know, for a guy who's like five, nine, one seventy. He also feels like he's one of those guys that has like ice water running down his veins, right? Like it's like yeah. he can be in pressure in his own zone behind the net and he just like skates it out into traffic. And with most guys, you'd be like, oh God, this is going to be a disaster. But he just makes a a smooth play. And yeah, I, I love watching him play. I think I think the third pairing element of it is just he's not going to get the, the points or the acclaim that it's going to draw a lot of national attention. But he's certainly mm-hmm. someone who pops off the page when you watch them. But, you know, that, that Bruins D versus the Carolina forecheck, like, I think that's why that's going to be the most important matchup just because if the Bruins are able to deal with it, then they can play that cycle game they want where they get the puck into the offensive zone and just grind down on Carolina. If they're constantly turning it over and getting stuck in the mud and kind of, kind of falling flat in the neutral zone, then that's obviously going to shift things in Carolina's favor. And I think that is uh, going to be the ultimate difference maker and, and the goaltending. Let's talk a bit about the goaltending. We talked about Rask's performance. I don't think anyone's expecting him to have a 951 save percentage again in this series, but I think it's pretty clear that he's locked in right now and he's going to give the Bruins a fighting chance on the other side of things, whether it's McLaney or Mrazek. I'm really curious to see how they hold up in this because as great as they were against the Islanders where they gave up only two five-on-five goals and five all-series, it's a much different task with some of these Bruins shooters and just the talent level is going to be a big uh elevation so i'm very curious to see whether they can hold up and whether they can match or ask save for save yeah for sure i mean i don't know that there's a better weapon in in the series than posternox one-timer i mean it's kind of like you know nobody's ovechkin obviously but he's in that next class for me you know just the the speed with which he gets it off and he doesn't always get it off he, he goes for it so much that you know it kind of his stick blows up a couple times a game and you know or, or it's just you know he has to catch it and kind of reset or, or whatever but um he brings it and you know they don't have from like the back end they don't have really bombs like that but they have a bunch of guys that can shoot really well like char still you know brings it not to the you know the record setting extent that he did you know five ten years ago but um you know still a very hard shot that he probably could use a little more um but yeah i mean bergeron with the the slot kind of snapshot that he has a you know marshan really from anywhere is dangerous and um you know a guy like jake 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 tabrus can finish too he's going to try to get inside and you know make one move and uh, pitch it upstairs that's kind of his thing so well you know what'll be interesting uh, like the the hurricanes are so good at defending the slot and especially whenever slavin's out there he's got you know one of the best sticks in the game and it seems like he's constantly tipping away pucks and deflecting stuff and, and causing turnovers and the bruins as i mentioned with with bergeron and pasternak and marshawn especially when they're out there they love those sign of cross seam passes where the goalie has no chance if the pass is completed and i'll be really watching to see how many of those opportunities they get where it's like a team that really loves passing it into the slot and shooting from there versus a team that 
does a really great job of defending it and how which one gets the upper hand there. Yeah, you have to look. That's that's how you shut down the Bruins. I mean, the Toronto wasn't able to do it, even though that's what Boston tried to do the entire series, and because that's where they're good at. I mean, they're they're gonna they're definitely gonna <laughs> try. I mean, it, they're Pasternak's their first option in one circle. Marchand's probably their second option in the in the other circle, and then they have Bergeron kind of cruising around. Um, it's tough to stop. Those guys are super accurate. They work on it a ton, and and uh, pretty much the best in the game at it. But um, no, I, I, I'm I'm curious to see like physically because Boston can be a load, you know. Once they get going, like if if they want to get to the net, you know, they have the guys that can get there. Like DeBrusque's not a big guy, but he charges hard. But really, in the kind of the bottom two lines, um, you know, Coyle's a big horse, Corrali's a big horse. Um, you know, those guys, if they're not controlling the puck on the wall, you know, they can they can bring it inside. Um, you know, not like an old school Milan Lucic type, but. Uh, they can, you know, they can play that game. I'm curious to see if they're able to, you know, I know Carolina has some size, but they're, for me, they're not as big a defense as a Columbus or, or a Tampa was, or, um, but you know, and I guess, I guess we'll find out there. This has to be the most, uh, Milan Lucic references on a hockey podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry. 19 anyone's ever. <laughs> <laughs> sorry world. <laughs> no, but He's from, you know, I, I, I get thing. it. I get, I get the reference and it, it, it is a good point. And, and it is, uh, you know, I imagine there's going to be a ton of Jacob Slavin going up against that top line for the Bruins. I, from the Bruins perspective, in terms of how they're going to match up and what they're going to look for on the one hand, you'd say like, as Sebastian Ajo goes offensively, this team goes, and he's their most dangerous offensive threat, so you'd probably want to key in on him. But it's actually been that Nino Niederreiter table Teravainen combo that's just been absolutely dominant at 5 on 5 this postseason. And so if they're with Jordan Stahl uh, versus if they're with Ajo, like I'm very curious to see how Bruce Cassidy identifies them as which one is the kind of most lethal pressing uh, threat and who he throws Bergeron on as opposed to who he goes with a more secondary defensive approach. Yeah. And, and does he keep, you know, well, for games two through whatever, does he keep the McAvoy char pairing, you know, with the Bergeron line and, and use them there? Or does he kind of drop them to play with another line? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like in Toronto, you know, against Toronto, we had the, you know, the choice of, you know, either the Matthews or the Tavares line. So what do you, what do you do there? And he wound up playing, you know, Carlo against Matthews and, and, you know, Bergeron against Tavares. So kind of like second pair versus second line and first, mm-hmm. uh, first pair of his first line. So seemed to work out. Um, you know, obviously Matthews didn't, was really the only guy for them that really got on track and, and was a, a big, you know, a huge factor in that series. Um, but, you know, I thought on the whole, Carlo did a pretty good job against them. And then Carlo, you know, really rose, uh, I thought in, in his play in, in, uh, in round two and, uh, was a gigantic factor there. Yep. So, it yeah, I mean, well. it, it, I, I put, I put the Bergeron line on, you know, on Aho. I mm. think that's, you know, just because Aho is really smart. Bergeron thinks the game better than any player I've seen. And I, I just think if you want to take out one guy, you know, it's got to be that, you know, the thinking, the thinking being that, you know, the, the combination of the way the Bruins, you know, break out, you know, and they can kind of get the puck in David Krejci's hands, you know, you kind of, you know, take your chances with that line against, uh, you know, the stall line. Yeah. No, I, I certainly get that. Like when Ajo's cooking, uh, the Hurricanes are certainly a much more dynamic team. Um, yeah, no, I mean, listen, 
I think it's also interesting because like we're not going to have time to get into uh, the Bruins, like kind of the way they were constructed and sort of reopening this window and, and making it back to their conference final for the first time since 2013. But that is just like another element to this where it does feel like this, you know, this might be one of the last hurrahs for this team and this current core they have just based on some of the ages. Whereas this Hurricanes team, it feels like this is kind of like they're just entering our lives and this could be the first of many years that they have some sort of a playoff run. So that's also just like another uh, element to this that is interesting to consider. Yeah. Yeah. It feels a little bit like the, maybe like the Bruins in 20, 2011. I don't know. There's some young stars there that are, you know, people are going to get to learn like a, like a Sveshnikov if he's you know able to get back and, and kind of get cooking again, Aho being 21. Um, yeah. I mean, the Bruins have, they've reloaded. They had like a little dip, like a little two year dip, but you know, now they look as, you know, as strong as ever. And I just, uh, I don't know what the plan is after Bergeron, Bergeron and Krejci and Rask and, you know, Char is kind of, you know, he's certainly not the player that he, that he was. And, you know, he's kind of, there's not a lot of runway left in his career, but, um, you know, you have guys that are stepping up like Charlie McAvoy. He's an, an obvious candidate to be the, you know, the number one defenseman, you know, of the future for the Bruins. And, um, you know, Jake DeBrusque and Pasternak and, you know, Marshan for a few more years are, are going to be in there, you know, they're complete primes. So mm. it's, uh, it's an interesting, you know, way that they've done it. They've kind of bet that they're going to get something out of these guys for, you know, for the next couple of years, kind of, kind of hold them, uh, hold the, hold things together with this core that they have. And then, uh, you know, try to, uh, try to reload and, and go forward from there yeah well they're uh they're close i mean listen they're in the conference final and uh they're i think favored in this series on base of the most of the models that i've seen but i think it's gonna be really close i think this will be like a six seven game series i'm i'm picking the bruins in seven but uh i've been picking against the hurricanes in both round one and round two so uh maybe that's all the all their fans need to hear to get excited about them uh proving me wrong once again I've got the Bruins in six. I think that uh, it's going to be a lot tighter, you know, than than that would uh, that would make it seem. Mm. Um, I think the Hurricanes are pesky. They have been all year, and that's not a slight to them. That's not to say that they're like a little brother that uh, you know that can't get it done. But I think uh, I think the Bruins still have one good run left in them. Yeah. No, this Hurricane seems good. I'm excited to watch this. Uh, Matt, this was a blast. Do you want to uh, plug some stuff? What? Uh, where can people check you out? Yeah, bostonglobe.com uh, is where I do all of my long writing and uh, my dumb tweets are at Matty Ports, M-A-T-T-Y-P-O-R-T-S. Awesome, man. Well, I'm glad we could finally do this and uh, enjoy the series. Thanks, man. It Cheers. should be fun. Talk soon. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.